how it stops. Y'all ready, ready for this? this? Hello and welcome to Idiots Talk History. I'm your host Matt and with me, as always, is my co-host Lorna. Hello! So if you've never listened to the podcast before, one of us does a report uh, on a moment, topic, event, a person from history. Lorna, stop reading what it is, please. Um, I think it said Anna Faris. Yes, it is. A, <laughs> this week we're going to do um, a report, I'm going to do a report on uh, American comedian um, and Actress. star of uh, the scary movie Quadrilogy, oh, yes. I believe, uh, Anna Faris. So what Good do you know shot, about okay. Anna <laughs> Leslie Faris? Is the middle name really Leslie? No, I just made this up. So anyway, we're not doing Anna Faris today. Um, got Anna Faris on I the brain. two women who kept... When I was working uh, selling Christmas trees yesterday, yes. two women who were called Leslie and Steph, because they kept yeah, making me, they kept buying loads of trees, and they kept making me write one of their names, and they were like, oh, we're also buying one for our hairdresser, Sharon. We write Sharon on this one. I was like, I How many trees did they buy? A number. You and then they, need they, one. But then they kept being like, oh, well, you net this one. Oh, maybe I'll have the Leslie one, even though I'm Steph, and maybe, <laughs> you, maybe you can have Sharon. And then I was just like, all right, see you later. Oh, my god. Good story, anyway. They just maybe wanted you out. to know the name, clearly. Did they fancy it? No. Were they flirting? No. No. Um, so, we don't talk about that on this podcast, we talk about history. Yeah, this is not a podcast on Matt's love life. No. So, <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast on, have you heard of a man called Ken Kesey? No. Have should you... I have? Um, Your face looks like I should have. No, maybe, but no. Uh, have you heard of the Merry Pranksters? No. Okay, have you I heard? Of LSD. The drug. The drug. Yes. Yes. I don't know what LSD stands for, actually. Should have looked up. I don't know either. But it's so. this hallucinogenic. Hallucinogenic. Yes. yes. So is this the drug? That's when he talks about the drug LSD. Or is LSD the pranksters? No, well, we'll get to this. Okay. I'll give you some explanation. So today we're going to talk about Ken Kesey, LSD, and the merry pranksters. Okay. You have no idea what this could be, do you? No. Okay, that's good. I like that. So, um, the 60s, the psychedelic movement, as with everything in life, there's a lot of debate about when and where this began. We mm-hmm. all know about like the hippies and the psychedelic movement in the 60s, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Yeah, um, so, some people talk about uh, the Beatles album Revolver as the start of it. Some people talk about the Summer of Love in 1967. How about, though... 1958 at Stanford University in California. It won't mean anything to you. No, it's <laughs> not, to be honest. what some people say. So there's a man named Ken Kesey. Um, Had you heard of Ken Kesey before? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you where I've heard about all these different things at the end. Oh, okay. um, so he'd been born in Colorado to a farming family in Oregon. Um, he'd been a college wrestler. He'd been voted the boy most likely to succeed in his high school. Um, he'd played lots of sports, but he was also into decorating sets for plays, um, writing me. skits, and even magic and ventriloquism. Mm-hmm. He'd won an award, I think this was at college, for best thespian as well. Um, and he'd been uh, to the University of Oregon, and on May 20th, 1956, while he was still at uni, he had married his childhood sweetheart, Faye Haxby. Oh, It's cute, isn't it? That's nice. My sister's called Faye. Yeah, so that's just a little bit, bit of backstory on him as a 
a young man. This is ringing a bell. Okay, right. I didn't know any of this, but he um, he'd grown up as part of a Baptist family, um, so quite sort of strict Christian background. Um, right. And he and Faye had moved into Perry Lane. Um, sounds like Penny Lane, not related. And and that was in um, near Stanford University when uh, Ken got on a writing program. I think so. He's done his he's done his university study, and now he's doing sort of a postgraduate writing, um, like creative writing sort of program at Stanford University in 1958, which is what I mentioned earlier. 1958, Stanford University. Yeah. So Perry Lane was a uh, a very bohemian area at the time, um, and I love a bohemian area. What like? Would you say the Northern Quarter is a bit bohemian or not? Yeah, probably. There's a get bohemian characters there. There's a place in um, Denmark where my brother and I went near Copenhagen. I can't remember what it's called. Like Christiania? Christiania? I think you've told me about that. Um, look it up. So he began to make friends in the bohemian area. Bohemian area. Perry Lane. And he got influenced by his friends and by the Beats. The beat generation. I knew this was going to link to the beat. Why? I just did. <laughs> mentioned in. I just um, knew it's got. You mentioned LSD. We're on about the sixties. We're in America. They're mm. in uni. They were all in uni doing drugs. All no, but the time. that. But what we talked about last time was in nineteen forty-three. I think nineteen forty-four or nineteen forty-two. <laughs> yeah, but they had, they knew loads of people at unis and stuff, and they were going. They did, but this is actually slightly after. So he'd been influenced by. Yeah, by the Beat Generation mentioned in, I don't know what episode it was, 30-odd. Um, and all the writing's coming out now. It is, the yeah, the 1958, writing. 1959, the, around this time. Um, and Ken began to smoke marijuana, marijuana, some people call it. Um, no, no, no. And he, crucially, he agreed to enlist in a number of experiments at the Veterans Hospital in Menlo Park. So in order to earn money, he agreed to take part in his program which was funded by the cia as people say it's pretty clear now that it was funded by the cia but wasn't sure and he was paid to ingest a number of psychedelic substances including lsd that wouldn't be allowed nowadays would it no (laughs) so the cia at the time were trying to create drugs um and i saw sort of news reports about this some were saying like to get enemy spies to spill their secrets and to make their own spies forget their secrets so they were trying to sort of like psychological uh, not warfare, but drugs to yeah do these sorts of things to spies, um, stuff like that. So when they were taking all these drugs in these rooms at this hospital, Case uh, Kesey and his friends um, were being asked all these questions by scientists. Um, and I saw a um, I watched like a little video with Kesey and his friend. I think it was mainly his friends, and they were talking about how like. They were so hot and they just wanted to like run around and do stuff with this kept having people prod them and like ask uh, them ask questions, questions and they were just like, I don't want to do this. But they were getting money for it. Yeah. So um I've got a quote here, he said, I got high on psychedelics before I was ever drunk. I never smoked, then LSD came by and to me it was the most wonderful thing that had ever happened. And of course the best drugs ever were manufactured by the government. That's so weird though, like because Nowadays, your first port of call is not hard drugs. You go through alcohol, you yeah. do a bit of social smoking usually, then you move on to... This isn't other... speaking from any experience. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> but um, this is what happens though. They don't go, like, it's not very common for um, 
people to go so straight, straight to like yeah, LSD but LSD, or like cocaine They or were just doing... Um, because they were doing the experiment. experiments, yeah, yeah. yeah and but it that's was so just, bizarre. It's just from a Baptist family. Blessing. Um, anyway, soon enough, um, LSD crept out of the hospital and onto the streets where he and his friends. I'm going to call him Ken because I feel like I'm butchering his second name. Do you think? How did it get onto the streets then? Do you think people were remaking he, it or no, it was he, the he, government released he, it? He was stealing it, I think. Oh, brilliant. From um, and sort of giving it to his friends. I'm pretty sure I read that, yeah. They, okay. It, his friends were taking some because he actually worked at the hospital, which I'll get onto in a second oh, okay. as well. Um, oh, here we go. At the same time, he, Ken was also working in the psychiatric wing of the hospital. And I don't know if it's a safe place for him to be while he's on LSD. I don't think it was. When, no, no, I don't think it was also on LSD at the same time. Right, okay. So this is where the idea for his first novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, ah. came from. So, the book was written partly under the influence of hallucinogens and was published in 1962. Have you read it? No, I just know of list. it. Yeah. It wasn't one that has really appealed to me, and I don't know why. I like um, the title. But it was also made into an Oscar winning movie starring Jack Nicholson in 1975. That's not even long after it was published then. No, no. Um. So, it was a powerful metaphor for the crushing forces of conformity and the indomitability of the free spirit. So, it was um, about a guy who goes into... I think he I think he like runs away from the army. I should have looked up the synopsis of this book. And he ends up in the psychiatric ward, sort of faking his own... He faked psychiatric problems to get away from the war, I think. You're looking at fight. Yes. Um... So, and then he helps, spoilers, he helps someone escape and all sorts. Um, I know what happens at the very end. I need a brief synopsis. Short synopsis. So it's Randall Patrick McMurphy gets transferred for evaluation from a prison farm to a mental institution. He assumes it will be a less restrictive environment. But the nurse who runs the psychiatric ward has an iron fist and keeps the patient's Cowed through abuse medication and sessions of electroconvulsive yeah. therapy. It's a uh, nurse ratchet. Yeah, so she she's just quite famous. Affects all the patients in there. So yeah, that's evil. That's uh, that's the book that he wrote. So at this time, so him and his friends are taking drugs on the regular. Yes. And he made a decision in 1964 that would change his life. So he's had his book published by now. Yeah. Um, two years and it's been like a huge success mm-hmm. and he said everybody I knew had read On the Road it stirred us up so we decided to travel across the country because there were so many of us we decided to buy a bus Aww. so there's 13 of them I believe oh there we go in 1964 he and 13 of his, thre- his friends so there's 14 of them purchased an antiquated 1939 International Harvester school bus and began calling themselves the Merry Pranksters. So they'd moved, I think, before this from uh, Perry Lane to, um, I think, called La Honda, which was like a ranch. Um, and all the, him and his friends were sort of living there and doing all these experiments with drugs and oh, okay. um, all sorts of stuff. But they decided they were going to set off on a bus journey from um, California, I think, over to New York. And they would call themselves Merry Pranksters. Where's his wife? Um, she came along. She was with. Oh, she was okay. one of them. Um, so the idea was to attend the launch of Keese's next novel, which was called Sometimes a Great Notion, and to visit the 1964 World's Fair. 
Um, the big, the world's fair. Yeah. So they painted this bus with sort of starburst swirls and explosions and it was just like a big psychedelic yeah. trip. Very 60s. I'll, uh, do you want to get up a picture so you have some idea? Yes. Do I need to just type in the Merry Prankster yeah. bus? Yeah, just put in the dot. Yeah, Merry Prankster bus. Um, and I can tweet a picture of Images. this. Images. Wow, I love it. So there's the bus <gasps> that travelled on. Um, so on the destination board, because you'll be able to see there actually, on the destination board on the front, it said further, if you have a look, you know, on the front. Further, Spelt yeah. Spelt wrong, I think it's got a U, on the, maybe that's a new bus, but on his old yeah, bus had a U. Yeah, it's hard to tell which one's the actual bus now. Um, and that just gives you an idea of the sort of headspace they were in. On the back it also said weird load. <laughs> On the back of the uh, it is a pretty weird load. And they had an observational turret on top, which you can see where everyone stood on. Yeah, so if you've not seen it before, give it a bit of a Google now. You'll see like the turret on the top of the bus. I will tweet a picture when I can find the right one. So why were they doing this? Why were they travelling across? I know this, they were going for the launch of their new book, Harvey's new book. But it seems like they were looking for an experience. So, um... Paul Berry, who wrote the book On the Bus, uh, said, It became a metaphor for the carefree and at times careless, hedonistic, authority-challenging, back-to-nature, alternative-seeking qualities of the 60s. Well, that's a long sentence. Lots of different, lots of stuff going on there. So, yeah, it seemed like travelling across the country with friends, taking loads of drugs which were not yet illegal. LSD wasn't illegal at this time. Mm. Um, just having a great time. Um, and during the journey, they wanted to make a film, uh, which would eventually be, be titled The Merry Pranksters Search for a Cool Place, cool spelled K-O-O-L, mm-hmm. like cool and the gang. Um, and I remember hearing on this video that I watched a voiceover, I'm not sure who it was, and he said, I realised I wasn't going to be able to write a book about this, the bus, because you can't, it's an experience, this li- wasn't literature anymore. This jumped off the pages and onto the streets. So it was like more than a book, essentially. So when I'm listening to the people who were... This was a video from a few years ago, so I don't know if these people are still alive, but there's a couple of people who were on the bus, were part of the Merry Pranksters. And some talked about the McCarthy era, McCarthy era and the Cold War, which was sort of yeah, going on. Yeah, that's time, isn't it? Another spoke about how later... So people, that was sort of in the minds of some of them. Another spoke about how later on there were specific issues such as the Vietnam War, which people were opposed to. But at that time, the Merry Pranksters, it was just like the world in general they just didn't agree with. So he compared it to a quote. This was really weird. He compared it to a quote from Marlon Brando in the film The Wild One, where he's asked, what are you rebelling against? And he says, what have you got? So it was just like, oh, whatever. Oh, so anything. They just... Yeah. So people had different ideas why they were going on this bus, I think, or why they were making this journey. Some were just like, out to have an experience. Some were like, I want to... It was a lot about freedom of like expression. I also think sometimes it's just about taking a stance. You yeah. might not passionately be against something, but if all your friends are and you just want to take a stance on something, you will. And they were they were talking about like freedom of drugs as well. Like they were like, take LSD. <laughs> Having great. a great time, yeah. Because um, I think it's quite restrictive, quite like conservative. Um, and Ken Kesey said, famously, we were a shuttle between the beatniks and the hippies. We were too young to be beatniks and too old to be hippies. 
So hmm. gives you an idea. They sort of felt like they were stuck between what came so, later and then the Beats, who were a bit older by that time. They'd already done their travelling. Yeah, by 58. Um, so in 1962, he'd become a bit of a sensation due to his novel, as I mentioned. Yes. How old is he when he's on this bus, though? Oh, I don't know. Not old, I don't think. Have you got he the married... born? No, <laughs> should have done. I'll he, get it he now. He married Faye in 1956, when I think he was 23, maybe. He was born 1935. Oh, okay. So he's like so he's 20... 29 when he's on that bus. How old was he when he got married? 20... When, when did I say? 1956. 21? How old is he on the bus, sorry? Um, well, they're on the bus 1964, 1964 so yeah. he's um, 29. Okay. So, yeah, he'd become a bit of a sensation. 1962, so we're going back a little bit before we 27. get 27. Yeah. And one day, he and Faye returned home in an evening to find a man stood in his front yard. Uh, and a man he recognised as Jack Kerouac's muse, uh, Dean Moriarty, in the book On the Road. No! A man named Neil Cassidy. You're joking. No. What's Neil Cassidy doing at his house? What's he doing? He just was like, I'm a big fan. I don't know. Apparently, he was proper, like, high a lot of the time. Right, okay. Which makes sense. But he, um, Neil Cassidy was um, made famous by being an, the main the main character in the book On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Which the Merry Pranksters all read and they were inspired so by. So then this guy just turns boss. up and he was like, oh my goodness, we've got Neil Cassidy. So he was like, this focal point when they went on the bus he was this focal point of like he's part of their experience yeah he's sort of our link to that time so yeah he he became one of the merry pranksters and when the gang set out on their mythical road trip he was at the helm so wow. he was driving a lot of the way i wouldn't trust and there's him. a lot of stories here because you get a lot of stories around him anyway like what he did and stuff these sort of like myths that people create yeah so i don't know how much of this is true but i have actually seen a video of him driving the bus and it is terrifying why so he was very high on speed i think they said um during a lot of it um but apparently all the other pranksters felt very safe no, in his hands. no no um and like i said his footage of him driving it and he just doesn't stop talking first of all he's like bouncing around constantly um and he Took ter- people took turns sitting with him up the top of the bus because he was just too much. So like to give him someone to talk to, and I saw him like at times. I think they said like he had headphones on. He would just like sing constantly, like with no like you can't hear the music. And then other times he had they had a PA speaker, PA. So he would just ramble on, and he also had it like sp- spread out spread the bus out, and like outside, oh, so like wow. onto the street and stuff. But I think that was mainly for them being like hello and welcome. But Whatever. he would just ramble. But he was just rambling when they were driving. Um, oh, yeah, so when he had the big headphones on, he would rap into the onboard public um, address <laughs> system, waving his arms and howling into the microphone, only occasionally looking at the road. Oh. I read somewhere, I don't I don't believe that this is true, but that he drove for three days straight at one point, stopping only for gas. But oh there is actually gosh. a scene... Why did they not swap drivers? They did, I think, at some points, but he was but just But it was like, mainly him. He was driving ranting. a lot of it. Um... And there's a scene which I haven't seen, because obviously they filmed it all. Yeah. Or a lot of it. I think they ended up with like 50 hours or something. Oh my gosh. Um, maybe it's more than that. I don't know. I'm sure I've got it somewhere. Um, where in in the film he jumped up from the driver's seat, jammed the accelerator in place, and started strolling around the bus. 
um, chatting and dancing with the other people as they were playing bongos. And they were clearly, well, apparently oblivious to the fact no one was driving the bus. And then he just eventually stumbled back to the wheel and sat down and carried on. Yeah, I don't know if they were in the desert at this point. Yeah, it must have been like open road, but still. (laughs) But he was just like, put stick something on the accelerator and just get... But cars veer off. I know, but... Like, they can go any direction depending on how much air you've got in your tyres and stuff. Yeah, so... (laughs) Oh my God. um, Questionable decisions being made there. Very questionable decisions. But they were building up um, before they went. They, they, like I said, they wanted to make a film, so they got loads of equipment, loads of film equipment, and they ended up at the end of it editing a version that was thirty hours long, and apparently only Neil stayed awake for the whole of it. Of course um, he did. So as they moved from town to town, the uh, from city to city, the pranksters would take to the roof, dance and declaim, play nonsensical music to a mixture of amusement and unease from baffled Americans. The bus was actually pulled over very regularly, mm-hmm. as you can I imagine. Bet it was. Uh, however, over the course of the three thousand five hundred mile journey, they didn't get so much as a speeding, speeding ticket. Speeding How? ticket, because they didn't break How any laws. They, they were just like. Are they not like searching for drugs though? My immediate thought yeah. was it stinks of weed on here, and your your driver is rambling. <laughs> he's high off his head. Like, yeah. where's the drugs? But apparently, it was. It was I would have got good. sniffer dogs. I think th- a would lot have ruined of, the fun. <laughs> I think a lot of police officers just like just get out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, On to the next town. <laughs> but um, there wasn't. I read that like there were people baffled by them, but they weren't because it, the sixties, like the psychedelic movement, hadn't started. There wasn't this like huge opposition to drugs in the same way. So people were like, these yeah, are weird people, but they wouldn't then. It wasn't like, commonplace if, for everyone taking drugs, so it wasn't. A, like it wasn't an issue. It was like just one bus. Now. Yeah, and of people taking drugs. And it wasn't seen in a, as negative a light. If they'd done that like five years later, they wouldn't have got away. They would. Them. Everyone would have been like, "These are horrible people." Yeah, like that. yeah, But they were just like, "These are some free loving guys, yeah. <laughs> guys and gals." Um, a few people did have breakdowns and stuff on the bus, though. I think some people took like triple the dose and had to like go to hospital and stuff. But. I've brushed over that. Okay, good. Um, Thank you. So, outside of the clinical and government-funded projects, LSD experimentation was largely restricted to the small group of psychiatrists. Nope. Psychiatrists. What am I right Psychiatrists. Thank you. Um, artists and intellectuals included Albus Huxley, um, wrote a famous um, dystopian book, and it's escaped me now. What is it called? Um... Anyway, I wrote that because I was like, oh, that's so clear. Here you go. But anyway, <laughs> or Brave New World. He wrote Brave oh, New World. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've um, seen that. The cover's interesting. Yes. So, its most public exponent, exponent was a Harvard psychologist named Timothy Leary, who believed that LSD took the user to the portals of heaven. So, basically, wow. on the west coast of America, you've got our merry pranksters... Just We're a California side here, California aren't we? side, yeah. Just yeah. having doing drugs and being like, this is amazing. We'll just like put so free, cool. freedom and they're yeah. making this bus. At the other end, you've got all these intellectuals being like, hmm, let's take it in a controlled environment and they're we'll sort of discuss. Yeah, they will be like, well, let's discuss what we've seen, everything like this. <laughs> discuss so, the feelings. Yeah, so he, in Leary and his intellectual friends, they advocated elevated surroundings for the LSD experience. So they had like candlelit rooms, Indian hangings, Gregorian <laughs> chants. Whereas the others are like, throw us in a bus with yeah, a load of paint, literally. bongos, the other... and a driver on speed. <laughs> Essentially, that was the other end of it. A psychedelic circus. 
an open-ended experience that in the spirit of the great American frontier, anyone and everyone should explore. So that was Kesey and his friends. Yeah. Psychedelic craziness. I don't know which side I prefer. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not as... I think if we were back then, it's different though. I'm yeah. trying to think their perspective. I wouldn't yeah. want to be a boring intellectual. Alright. Um, so, the culmination of the journey was them going to... The World the Fair. Con- well, before that. Oh, the book release. Before that. I didn't mention it. But no, I was going to okay. say, this is why I brought up Timothy Leary and his mates. Was pulling into the country estate, estate at Millbrook in upstate New York, where Leary held court. So, Leary's circle had spent the previous night on a carefully, carefully orchestrated LSD trip. Brilliant. And then they Carefully awoke... orchestrated is the worst. <laughs> They awoke to find the prankster's bus coming up the drive, exploding smoke bombs. An electric... I don't know why I wrote this, I don't know what this word means. So anyway, electric <laughs> electric music um, blaring from the loudspeakers. Um, the clash of cultures. Yeah, definitely. Um, but they've both got the same interest. They have, but it didn't go well. I bet it didn't. It didn't what go happened? well. Um, it was the worst reception the bus actually got on its whole journey, apparently. Aww. was in New York City. So, it's a bit too of a we're too cool for that kind of thing. It was it was actually just bad from start to beginning when they got to New York. So they they had a great time all the way from start to beginning, start to end. So, <laughs> um, they actually got to New York and they visited Jack Kerouac first. Oh, that's cool. I bet he gave him a good reception. He was a f- severe alcoholic, um, and it was supposed to be a, a sort not. of handing over of a baton moment. Yeah, um, but he wasn't very impressed with these Why? people he just was just like apparently sat in the corner just like nursing a Budweiser and was just I like, think he is a bit of a cynic though yeah his old and he's age. just like I'm not I'm not on board with this well, New York has to do what have you done um I think he was a bit fed up with it and then he went to Timothy Leary's didn't have a great reception then he went to the World Fair it was a bit poo right <laughs> they were just like what is it was also supposed to be like the future and they were just like what is going on it was like we're the future yeah this is nonsense so the ending didn't wasn't great for them. But, um, so what happened when they went to O'Leary's? He just was like, oh, not O'Leary's, just O'Leary's. O'Leary's. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't read anything else about it. it just, to be fair, they weren't impressed. With this topic, even though this the actual um, trip wasn't that long, I think I mentioned it later on, I think it was like less than three months, two and a bit months. Like, there's so much written on the whole. There thing. must be, they documented it all, so yeah. it's like. Yeah, fair, I just didn't know. No, but I, I just didn't I didn't read anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't capture anything else about that. So after this trip, uh, Ken returned to California. At his ranch, he began to host a series of acid tests. Mm, um, at which the Grateful Dead were the house band. Uh, the Hells Angels were honourable guests. I was going to mention the Hells Angels before because um, they... They're renowned for like having LSD and trippy drugs, and they would go to places like where these merry pranksters would be. Like, if they find like an abandoned farm or something, or if there's like a farm where somebody lives and all the hippie friends come around, and then you just find like quite a few Hell's Angels there just having did you drugs. Read that and in the Huntress Thompson's, book. I did, yeah. Hell's Angels, good book. Um, and also, um, finish that sentence, Alan yes. Ginsberg was there playing finger symbols. Yes, because he knew the Hells Angels as well. There you go. It all comes together. It, it does. I actually, so, I knew, obviously I knew the Hells Angels, I knew Alan Ginsberg, 
Um, and Alan Ginsberg is one of the Beat Generation, yeah. a poet. And and the Hells Angels are a motorcycle gang. And then the Grateful Dead are a band. And the Grateful Dead are a band that I have heard of, but I've always been a bit like, they don't sound very, they sound a bit heavy rock they in my do, head. They definitely do. They're not, they're quite good. I listen to them, I listen to them, they're all right. I feel like there's a lot going on. They're very like psychedelic, Okay. but they're very good. So They're not still around anymore though, are they? They were from uh, about 1965 to 1995, so quite a long time. Yeah. Um, in 1966, after twice being arrested for possession of marijuana... Is this Ken? Ken. He skipped bail, <sighs> faked his own suicide, and escaped into hiding in Mexico. Oh my god, that's a bit dramatic for me. Yeah. So, he just caught caught with marijuana. I know. <laughs> but... um. He eventually returned um, from Mexico after nine months, where he'd been living the same sort of lifestyle with his friends. Nine, it's not a long time. Why did he go to all that effort to fake his death and the thing for was, nine months? I think when he came back, he got like a £1,500 fine and like a suspended sentence or something. You're joking. Um, also, would he not get in trouble for faking his own death, though? Because that's now ooh, fraud. Yeah, I'm not sure. It worked good anyway, no. but he came back. Yeah, he should have just not skipped bail. Oh, he's sentenced to six months on a prison farm. Which is ironic, because that's the story of um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He started on a prison farm. That is. Yeah. So anyway, um, while he served his term, um, lots of people began to converge on San Francisco, on on the sort of psychedelic areas, the bohemian areas of San Francisco. Yeah. And this psychedelic idealism began, began to lose its gleam in terms of like, Lots of people having bad trips. Lots of, lots of bad oh, things. And lots this is of now squalor. the bad stuff coming out of yeah, the drugs. Um, this is like the story that's told anyway. Anyway, that it sort of it became it was illegal by now, and this is when it started to get its negative connotations. Yeah. Um, on his release, Ken retreated to his family farm in Oregon, um, and that's where he sat out the rest of this sixties sort of heyday. So in 1969, the rest of the pranksters, they all went, took a bus to Woodstock, but Ken stayed at home. They came back to Oregon to see him, and he just had a sign outside of his driveway that simply said, no. <laughs> no. Is he still with his wife at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. So the group dispersed, and sort of a few people stayed with him on the farm, a few of the pranksters, and everyone else went their opposite ways. So I read a 1999 article about them about what happened to the rest of the pranksters. I've not really mentioned many of them. So there was a guy called George Barely Visible Walker. Barely Visible? Is he skinny? I'm not sure, actually. Uh, and he was he drove the bus along, alongside Neil. Um, and he spent the 70s sailing a schooner. Not sure what that is. Bought with the family inheritance around the world. So it's some sort of boat. Yeah. Uh, and he then started building Indy 500 racing cars. So all these are so bizarre. Like they live such an interesting life. Jane Burton um, began working as a civil rights lawyer in California. What? Mike Malfunction Hagen. Can we give each other nicknames? <laughs> um, owned properties in Oregon. Uh, he was called a slumlord in uh, one of the other guys. I know the pranks to call him a slumlord. See, these are Less like... interesting. It goes into, like, the psychedelic drug phase and everyone, like, the squalor and people having bad yeah. trips, but these lot were in the psychedelic, pre-psychedelic drugs phase and they've all done very well for themselves. Yeah. 
Um, Caroline, on the feet. Caroline Adams, known as Mountain Girl, went on to marry Jerry Garcia, who's the main guy from The Grateful Dead, um, and then was involved with street theatre and local politics in Eugene. Uh, Casey's brother, Chuck, brother Charlie, he was part of it as well, he um, ran an organic... Ken's brother Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. yeah. He ran an organic yogurt business, which fed a quarter of a million Americans a day. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. And Faye, this is all, I'm changing the tenses of this because it was written in 1999, so I'm yeah, not sure if yeah. after. Faye was a, a pillar of the local church, teaching Bible studies to kindergarten children. That one's the weirdest one for me. No, they were really still very Christian. Really? Like he, especially, yeah, they'd had, he'd had a Baptist upbringing and she, I think, also very Christian. Is it, that's what I I don't quite understand you. Hmm. Hmm. Come on. You can reconcile the two. Yeah, I just think it's a very different life. But one guy, one of the intellectuals thought I think it was Leary said that he thought LSD opened up the portals to heaven. Yeah. So he obviously had a belief. But that's a weird thing for someone, an intellectual, to say in 1960 for me. Hmm. Why? Because I just think that. It's like if this was like two hundred years ago, maybe I would be like, "Oh yeah, they would say that back then." Oh yeah, nineteen sixty. Like we know there's a big bang. We don't know if God exists. Yeah, but people still believe. No, I know they do. I know. So um, the the Merry Pranksters and their mythic bus trip and their counterculture lifestyle was immortalized in Tom Wolfe's highly popular non-fiction book. The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, 1968. Uh, Wolf was one of the first commentators to identify Kesey as the essential link between the beatnik culture of the 50s and the hippie culture of the mid to late 60s. Um, so, for a long time, the conventional wisdom about Kesey is that he was a great American novelist, potentially the greatest of his generation, really? but that he had squandered his potential. Because after... Um, he his second just... novel, he'd lost interest in writing. Um, that happens though. Yeah, I just I think that's a lot of pressure on him from a lot like people who don't even know him. Yeah. So just because he wrote one novel doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to be a writer and that's where his passion is. He might have just gone through a phase. So like, you can't you can have phases. It doesn't yeah. mean that he's wasting his potential. They don't know what other potential he's got. Exactly. He might not just be good at writing books. No, he, well, we learned from his his early life that he was into lots of things, weren't he? Well, he's a good sports person. He might want to go and play he sports. He was, yeah. Um, I'm on Ken's side. Go away, you horrible people. His second book sort of got less acclaim as his first because it was really difficult because his first was so highly regarded. But he's still, some people still say it's his best book. Actually. I think that's really interesting, though, that um, the fir- the his second book's not regarded because this is what happens when people do really well in the first book. They're under so much pressure. Mm. It's probably put him off. Elizabeth Gilbert said that. She, she said, how does she follow up from Eat, Pray, Love? Yeah. I've never read Which it. Which is tough. I've also not me. read it, but I've read her other book. Big Magic. Very good book. Um. So he said, uh, Ken said, it didn't come as a surprise to my folks that we were going to try and strike out in a new direction. This is where the progress of the pioneers ended here in Oregon, Oregon, and that's what some sometimes a great notion, which is a book, deals with: people coming to the edge and not knowing what to do. But I knew that the next step was going beyond the edge. So he was all like, "Writing's not where it is for me anymore. I'm going to step out into the unknown, do something else." 
I think that's fair enough. Push the frontier. He's a lot about frontier, you know, like... Yeah. Which is interesting, but I think he's got that American tradition. I also think that um, his... The generation that he was brought up in, you had a career and you had it for life. Yeah. Whereas he was like, I don't want to yeah. comply Yeah, it was like, that. I'm happy, I've done two books, and now yeah. I want to do something else. So They're very keen on frontiers, aren't they, in America? Mm. The term, frontier. Mentioned it last week. Gold yeah, yeah, exactly. So he turned his back on his literary career. He did publish some essays. Um, he wrote an imagined screenplay about Neil Cassidy in the bus. And he actually wrote another novel, I think, in the early 90s, something like that. Um, for the most part, though, he preferred to write for children, he said, of all ages, telling his stories at festivals and workshops with the aid of conjuring tricks, which brings back his love of magic from hmm. when he was younger. Because um, he said, what I always wanted to be was a magician. That is cute. We also worked on a um, magazine. He he edited a magazine devoted to that period, um, like the psychedelic period, collating papers and tapes. So he actually then, later in life, decided to resurrect the bus. Um, 50 years on? I, I think it was 1988. So oh, only. so like 24 years on. Um, so he wanted to take to the road as a storyteller and revive some of, something of the energy, the ideals, and the fun of the 60s. So yeah, 18, 1988, um, the, the original bus was ro- rusting on his farm. Yeah, but... He bought a new, uh, which was a 1947 model of the I think that's Harvester. the one that I've seen a picture of because he stood on the top looking a bit like an old man. Oh, is he? Uh, Not old, but like... But a bit older, yeah. Yeah. He'd be 50. Yeah. Ish. Um, yeah, so it was still the same sort of bus, but 1947 version, vintage. Uh, it decorated in psychedelic colours and started taking it on the road with a troupe of new and original pranksters. And they were performing Aww. plays, doing readings at fairs and parades. And he's taken this bus to Las Vegas. He took it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. And he says wherever he goes, it's always instant recognition him that's nice and when people this is a quote he said when people ask me what i think is my best work it's the bus there's lots of books but there's only one bus oh. he also said a really, i've got another really nice quote here he said people just love it little two or three year old kids as soon as they see that bus their faces light up they understand it completely there's people on top blowing bubbles there's lots of noise and pretty pictures along the side of it they couldn't care less about the Grateful Dead or Tom Wolfe. They like it because it's pretty. It's like fireworks in the sky. It always works. It's very sensory. Yeah. He also said, we're responsible. We don't use cuss words. We don't talk Aww. about dope. We don't do anything to break the cool. Because we know that if anything happened, we'd really be smashed around the block for it. So we just like, we just try and put on a nice show now. I think that's really nice, though. Yeah. It's quite simple, isn't it? Yeah. I'm on board. Um. Yeah, and he's sort of become this. Well, some people see him as this psychedelic messiah, sort of <laughs> mythical creature, and other people are like the opposite. Some see him as sort of a, a devil. I think of. he lost the psychedelic aspect, though. Not no, he's still doing. They were still doing. Oh, they're still doing it on the bus. But no, but I mean, not that. I don't know if they were doing it then. But like, this article from nineteen ninety nine, I think from the Telegraph, the the guy went to his farm, his ranch. And, and he was still, still there with tried. all his friends, but they were doing like, there was just like smoking marijuana mainly. Because he was like, I don't do, they, I don't think they ever did like cocaine, but they were like 
LSD and stuff. You don't know what's in it. Yeah, <laughs> just, I I'm guess. Not doing it. So, um, which is sensible. Yeah. Um, he he'd get a lot of people. He's always had a lot of people turning up at his farm, looking for some that. sort of like trip or like this guy to lead them basically oh which is weird you get this sort of i don't know this weird myth around you um and he said a lot of people would ring up as well there's a a convict who would always ring and apparently faye would just like go on the phone for him as he rambled for like 15 minutes and just listen to him and then be like thank you (laughs) every day or something for ages um and he'd send people are like He'd send them, like, here's, like, a book and a signed book or a signed picture, but he'd always, like, come back and keep coming back. But then he said, eventually, people would turn up and he'd realise that there was nothing sort of there. He couldn't offer them anything. Yeah, <laughs> you know he's... what I mean? He's just a guy. They've built him up to be this thing in the head that he's not, in a way. Yeah. Um, in the 1990s, even the Smithsonian Institute recognised his cultural impact and attempted to purchase the further bus, the original one, but yeah. he was like, nah. Um, he said, there's no way to restore this. What you want is the spirit, not the metal. And the way to do the spirit is to put chairs inside, climb in, be shaken half to death by the rattling and bumping while you're showing all the film unedited, not trying to make sense of it until you finally get tired of it. So it's like sitting in the bus, watching this film, this 30-hour film. And just being just like, watching them live their lives. Yeah. So Casey, Casey suffered a mild stroke in 1997, Four years later, on November 10th, 2001, he died of liver cancer in Eugene, Oregon, at the age of 66. So young, he was quite young, that. Yeah. That's my um, report on Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. It's a good report. And LSD, a bit of LSD. A bit of LSD, which at first I thought was an acronym for his friendship group. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how I was like, is this LSD drugs or Ken Casey no, and his no, friends? No, no, no it's, it was the drugs. No, yeah, I thought it was going to be like little... Scoundrels. Little snake diamonds. What a good name. You should make a, uh, you know, like Hell's Angels and the little snake diamonds. <laughs> Two <laughs> warring <laughs> motorbike gangs. That's what I thought it was, LSD. Oh, really? Thought, no, not like that, but I thought it was the name and you'd... Sh- like the acronym it. was LSD, not the actual oh. drug. What would your um, what would your nickname be? I don't know. You have to give it me. You can be Matt Tallboy. Tallboy. <laughs> what were the what were the ones? Barely visible. It was Mountain Girl. Oh, Mountain Girl. It was um. Brother Charlie. Malfunction. Malfunction. Mike Malfunction Hagen. Yeah. Mountain Girl. Caroline. You Mountain can be Girl, Matt Magnificent Singleton. That's quite nice. <laughs> or tall boy Lorna barely visible Barry no I've fits made up nice new ones I know I've stolen his why does it fit that quite nice Lorna brother Charlie Wait, no <laughs> why am I barely visible no it just fits not the actual words but oh, right. it, as a flow it fits quite nicely okay right Um. so anyway can people are find you not us? giving me no I don't name. have anything you're supposed to be a writer no yes you this are this is speaking this is insane supposed to be creative well um i'm sure we'll, we'll come up with one <laughs> so. well you best do um so i will tweet out a picture of the bus i'll try and get one from of the original but when i was on google images i think some are older ones yeah, so we'll, i'll we'll see what i can that, do yeah. i'll tweet a description oh i don't know if i mentioned there's a, a film that's movie corner um, obviously, the, the film. The one, 30 hours long. Yeah, Oof. but people have tried and tried to edit it down, and 
they have to a film, and I don't know why I've not written it down. I think it's called The Magic Bus. Is it called The Magic Bus? Just have a look. I don't know. I had it written down somewhere, I thought, but clearly I didn't. The Merry Pranksters. It, it looks quite good, actually. It's on about 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's called Magic Trip. Magic Trip. Um, a documentary which is sort of using all the original footage. Cool. I, I watched it's the trailer. from 2011. Yeah, I watched all the trailer. It looks, uh, looks quite good. Oh, good. Yeah. I so love if, a documentary. So if you're interested in this any further, you've got, you got 90 minutes to spare. Have a little look. It's on all, all your platforms. Yes. And it's... Uh, 6.8 Yeah, I read an article about these people putting, because they used all the original footage, put it on, and tried to make a film out of it. But they had a lot of issues because they never used clapperboards, so they never synced the sound with the film. Right. So it was really tough for them to actually get anything worthwhile out of it, because everything was out of sync. Um, mm. But, because they just didn't, they weren't that, they were all high and they were, str- <laughs> they were trying to film on a bus. And I don't think it was to make it into a film purposes, I think it was more for their own. Yeah. I don't think it was to mass produce a film about the trip. It was no. about the experience yeah. and then recording it for themselves. Like, if I'm videoing you, like if I decided I'd video you right now, I wouldn't be like, wait a second while I get my coffee board. Yeah. I'd just video yeah, you. Just Bam. Bam. Um, <laughs> so. I forgot to mention uh, where, I, where I got these ideas yes. from. So that just reminded me. It was um, So I'd heard of the Merry Pranksters. I think a bit through sort of beat stuff. Yeah, you through. love the beats. I don't love the beats, they're all right. And I'd a Tom Wolfe's book, The Electric yeah. Kool-Aid Test, was something that I'd been interested in reading for a while, but I'd just vaguely heard about it. Was it not called On the Bus? No, no, that was a book by, that was like a book of the trip, but right. Tom Wolfe's non-fiction book. I actually came across because of Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, okay. Because his sort of writing is very Fair similar to yeah, it's similar. To this sort of gonzo journalism, similar to Tom Fult. Oh, Tom okay. Wolf's Sorry, that was the other one that I was referring to, wasn't it? Yeah. On the bus. Yeah. So that's a that electric Kool Aid test is like a story of it essentially as well. Cool. Um, and then it all just came together. Yeah. Oh, very good. So if you. Would like to uh, tweet us if you want to see these pictures, whatever. Yes. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at Idiot History Pod. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Idiots Talk History. You can email us um, at idiothistorypod at gmail.com. And then uh, just give us a subscribe. Give us a like, a review, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Tell a friend, whatever podcast that you're listening to us on. And uh, we'll be back next week with another report. We will. Hopefully Don't know who it is not yet. Not something but... about California this week. We've had a bit yeah, of California we've had a double bit of an American, American dream, isn't it? Really. <laughs> okay, she's tired. <laughs> okay, we'll speak to you next week. See Bye. Ya. Bye. 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 Bye.